Okay, so we're in a series called Christians with Addictions. Uh, the, uh, every sermon in the series starts with letter R, and it's a progressive series. What that means is you need to listen to the ones before you get to the next one. It, it progresses, okay? You see them on the screen. Recognize you need Jesus. Take responsibility. It's no one else's fault. Roots. Find out what's the root cause, why you keep falling in this area. Repent. Change the way you think. And then renew your mind. If you're ready for part six, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Part six today is rebuke. 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 Okay, is there an area of your life where you've never been able to get victory in? It's like you know, your money's doing good or your relationships are good or whatever, but this one area, it seems like no matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many years you go to counseling, this one area just will not change in your life. And you want so bad to see change and you think I'll do anything, but it's like there's a black cloud following you around. Okay, that is a spiritual attack in your life. It is spiritual warfare. Um, if, if, you, if you feel like you are um, powerless, if you feel like, man, I've done everything and it seems like for some reason, no matter where, I can move to a different state and I still battle this. I can get in a different relationship, I still have this problem. Maybe it's an addiction to food. Maybe it's an addiction to TV. Maybe it's an addiction to affirmation from people. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's every Monday morning you get anxiety and it's been like that for 30 years. Okay, that is the enemy bringing oppression in your life. It says in Acts 10.38 that Jesus went about doing good and healing all. Everybody say all. all. Nobody got left out. What was that word again? Nobody got left out who were oppressed by the devil. So we're talking about rebuke, and we're talking about how to rebuke the enemy, rebuke Satan. I don't think that most American Christians realize how much the Bible talks about demonic activity. And I know that we're at Market Common, and so, uh, you know, we don't really want to talk about demons at Market Common. Um, if we were in Socasty, I would use the word demon. If we were in um, Aner, I would probably say devils. Um, if we were in Polly's Island, I'd probably say principalities of darkness. But, um, <laughs> but all through the Bible, you see it, right? And, and a lot of times when you see Satan in the Bible, it's not really Satan himself, because uh, Satan is not omnipresent. It's usually the works of Satan. Now, Jesus did merit Satan's attention, and so did Job, but most times we see the word adversary in the Bible, or Lucifer, or Satan, or demons, or devil, or spirits, or MSNBC. It's all through the Bible, and it all means this... That was not a good joke. Okay, if we were... If this was the first service, I wouldn't have done that again. Okay, so, Prince of Persia, it's, it's all through the Bible. And we're talking about rebuke, so I wanted to show you where that word comes from. And there's several places in the Bible, but these are my two favorites. Zechariah 3, 2 and Jude 1, 9. The Lord said to Satan, this blows my mind, the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. And then when the archangel Michael was disputing with Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you. I need you to understand this before we go through anything else. You have no authority without the name of Jesus. Even Jesus said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so don't think that, it's, that, that the devil's going to leave your life because you're a really good Christian and, you know, you come to church and that kind of thing. You have to use the power of the Holy. You have to use the authority in the name of Jesus. Your name doesn't cause demons to tremble. Um, Moses' name doesn't cause demons to tremble. It is the name of Jesus that does so. Um, C.S. Lewis says, and he's one of the greatest writers of the past hundred years, he says that there's two unbalanced 
Christian viewpoints when it comes to demonic activity, and that is there are skeptics and there are superstitious people. Um, the skeptics, they're the Christians, you know, we, like Luther and Episcopal, Baptist, Methodist, and they say, oh, there's no such thing as demons. We don't need to talk about that stuff. That's just nasty. We need to skip those parts of the Bible. And then the superstitious people, um, the superstitious people, they think there's a demon everywhere. Charismatics, you know, Pentecostal, Church of God. They think if you sneeze, it's like, Achoo. come out, Satan. Come out in Jesus' name. You know, okay, so here's how I can tell which one you are, Okay. All the skeptics in the room are thinking, man, I didn't come to church at Market Common to hear about demons today. And then all the superstitious people in the room are thinking, he's finally getting to the good stuff. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Okay, I need you to, you know, take up your camp and park somewhere in the middle with me today. We need to get a balanced viewpoint. Demonic activity is real. There is a spirit realm, but we have no reason to fear. Because even on the end times, whenever Jesus finally gets done with Satan... Jesus himself doesn't even go after him. In Revelation 20, verse 3, it says that one angel, just one angel is what it takes to throw Satan into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I can picture Jesus saying, okay, y'all, I'm ready to go back for my children. It's time to blow the trumpet. We're going to do this. And all the angels are just excited. Oh, Jesus, who's going to defeat Satan? Who's going to defeat Satan? Let it be me. Let it be me, 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 me. And Jesus says, you know what? Just send the little angel at the back. Just tell him to go do it as long as he says in Jesus' name. That's all he's got to say is in Jesus' name. And if you ever, in your mind, if you ever visualize uh, the spirit realm, don't ever visualize Jesus battling Satan. Okay? They're not on the same level. Satan was a created being. You and I battle Satan. Uh, angels war with demons in the spirit realm, but Jesus does not. He's Lord of lords, King of kings. He has authority over all. So don't ever picture that. Okay, so I have three points for you today to help you with this. And point number one, because we're at Market Common, I'm not going to say demon. I'm going to say spirits. That's a good word for us, right? Spirits. So spirits are real. Revelation 12, 4 and 9 says this. The dragon dragged down a third of the stars. I've taught you before that fallen stars are fallen angels. Uh, and flung them to earth. That old serpent who is called the devil and Satan was forced out of heaven and down to earth, and his angels were flung out with him. Now, we don't know if there was a billion angels or a million angels, but we do know that one-third of them rebelled against God with Lucifer, was thrown out of heaven, and now they have become his demons. So you have no reason to be scared because if one-third is against you, that means two-thirds are for you. And if just one angel can kick Satan's butt and one angel can slew 185,000 enemy troops like we read in the Bible, then you're good. I also want you to see this. If you're the kind of person that loves to think about guardian angels and, you know, the Bible, even Jesus talked about how every child has a guardian angel, um, you can't believe in angels and not believe in demons because the same scripture and the same book teaches you about both of them. Are you with me on that? Uh, and I'm not trying to freak any of y'all out. I'm just trying to say this. There's a good chance that some of you, your children, whatever, you've been battling something year after year after year, and you think, I'm doing everything I can. It's a demonic attack. And there's no reason to be ashamed. You think, well, if I tell people I'm being attacked, they're going to think I'm a bad person. Jesus was attacked. Jesus was attacked by Satan and demons. It's good that you learn about it so that you can actually be free from it and not live in bondage while you're on earth, okay? So I want to blow out some, um, some myths that a lot of Christians have. One of the things that bothers me, and y'all know it, is that when um, people, Christians put stuff on the internet and they hadn't even done their research and then other people read it and believe it, 
And so I love to deal with, I call them yo-yo Christians, okay? So there's some yo-yo Christians out there that believe that demons only showed up when Jesus was on earth, that there were none in the Old Testament, okay? It's all over the internet. Let me prove it to you. Leviticus 17, 7, they shall no longer offer sacrifices to demons or spirits. And you see the synonymity between spirits or demons. Remember the word synonymity that I taught you all a few weeks ago? It's my word now. I got it down pat. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 17, they sacrifice the demons not to God, to gods whom they have not known. Psalms 106, 37, they even sacrifice their sons and daughters to demons. And I know you're thinking when you read that, how horrible could a parent be to do that? We do that all the time. We send them to public school. They're surrounded by it. We give them a cell phone or a laptop without putting any protection on it. You think, well, I can trust my child. Could we trust you when you were a teenager? <laughs> Are you crazy? We just sacrifice our kids all the time. Here, go look at, look at whatever you want to look at. No big deal. Hang out with whoever you want to hang out with. What are you thinking? Spirits are transferable, you know. Uh, the Bible says that when uh, Moses laid his hands on Joshua, the spirit of wisdom came from Moses and went into Joshua. So even good spirits are transferable. Y'all are looking at me like I can't believe I came to church today. That's okay. Uh, there are some yo-yos who believe that only Jesus can cast out demons and nobody else. Uh, Mark 139, Jesus went through Galilee preaching in synagogues and casting out demons. He did it, but watch this two chapters later. Mark 314, he appointed 12 disciples to be sent out to preach and to have power to cast out demons. Then there are some yo-yo, I love doing this, this is my favorite part when I do. Then there are some yo-yo Christians who believe that the demons all died when Jesus died on the cross. And there's none in the book of Acts. Acts 16, 16 through 18, we were met by a slave girl who had a demon of divination. This is a demon of fortune-telling. And I know that this is kind of popular, especially up north, but if you've ever been to fortune-telling, you need to pray that spirit out of your life today, okay? Um, because it is demonic, and, and fortune-tellers, listen, they're real. Uh, they're real, and they hear from demons. Just like spirits can affect us, it affects people that want to hear from, from demons. I'll tell you how the devil works in that area. He actually, you say, well, they told me this and this and this. They study your past. Satan doesn't know your future. He only knows your past. He studies your bloodline. He knows the way, he knows the areas to tempt you in because he tempted your parents in the same areas. You think, well, this per my granddad battled alcohol, my dad, and now I'm battling alcohol. Because Satan knew exactly what area to, to, that you would open up the door to. He doesn't tip you in every area. He knows that he studies your bloodline, your ancestors. And so what he does is he sees the, 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 the mistakes, the, the ones that didn't want to serve God, and he tries to get you to make decisions to go in that direction. But he doesn't know your future. If Satan knew your future, when he went to Jesus, he wouldn't have said, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He didn't say, since you're the Son of God, he said, if you are. He only knew Jesus' past. He didn't know his future. If he knew Jesus' future, he probably would have ran for his life, but he didn't know it. If you are the Son of God. So if you want to know your future, you don't need to go to a fortune teller. You can go to God. He's got a good future for you. Okay? So I just want to, that's, that's free. I'm not going to charge you for that. That was just a side note. Okay. Then Paul, being greatly annoyed, said to the spirit inside of her. He verbally spoke to a spirit inside of a person. I command you, uh, whose name did he use? In the name of Jesus to come out. And it came out at that very moment. Then there are some yo-yo Christians who believe that, um, that, that the demons all died in the first century, and we have nothing to worry about anymore. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Then there are some yo-yo Christians who say 
that a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. That once you get saved and you give your life to Jesus, that you can never be possessed by a demon ever again. I've told you that the New Testament's written in Greek, and it's a much more detailed language than English, much more words in Greek. The word for demon-possessed is daimonizomai, and it's actually two different words. It can either mean ownership, or it can mean to take control or influence of. So can a Christian be owned by a demon? No. But can a Christian be influenced by or controlled by things in the spirit realm? Of course. Can an unbeliever be owned by Satan? They already are. They were born into sin. But can a Christian be owned by Satan? No, no, we're owned by, we give our life to Christ, we are owned by him. We belong to him, but we can be controlled or influenced by it. So let me prove this. I'm going to read a scripture and give you a really good analogy. Uh, referring to demonic activity, Joel 2, 9, they run to and fro in the city, they run on the wall, they climb into the house. Remember, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember this for the end of the sermon. They enter, remember that, they enter at the windows like a thief. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy it. Because here's an analogy. When you left your house today to come to church, Let's say that you accidentally left a window open in your home. And while you're here in church, a thief breaks into your home, climbs through the window. While the thief is in your house, does the thief own your home? Yes or no? But is he in your home? And while he's in there, he's going to steal, he's going to kill, and he's going to destroy until you have him arrested, and kick him out. You can go to lunch, he'll still be in there. You can live your life, he'll still be in there. You have to be the one to kick him out of your house, or he will remain in that home. And there are so many open windows to the Bible. In fact, if you want to write this down, the number one open door to the Satan and the demonic is pride. All through the Bible. Pride, 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 pride. All through the Bible. All through the Bible, you see it. Um, let me give you another little illustration, and then I'll, 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 I'll go to point two. Um, Imagine you have two men. One's a saved man and one's an unsaved man. They both drink a lot of alcohol at the same time. Wouldn't it be foolish for you to say, well, that alcohol is not going to affect the Christian guy because he loves Jesus? Wouldn't that be foolish? The alcohol is going to affect both of them, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, right? In fact, while he's drunk, we actually say he's under the... And while he's under the influence, he's going to say and do things that are outside of his character, that aren't the norm. You ever, with one of your kids, I know we've all been through it, one of your kids, and they're just, there's a season of their life, and you're thinking, we didn't raise you this way. We didn't, where did you, why are you acting like this? What's going on in your life? Now, whether the child looked at something they shouldn't, whether they were hanging out with the wrong group, or whatever it was, whatever it is, that's spiritual warfare going on affecting your child. The good news is that child doesn't have to live in bondage their whole life. You can use the name of Jesus to cast it out. And we've all, we've all been attacked by the enemy in many areas. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. The first step is to admit it and then get prayer from some strong prayer warriors to cast that out of your, out of your child's life. Why would you want to leave it in there? Right? Why would you leave it there? So let me show you a scripture in the Bible and then we'll go to point two. This is so good. You, you know the story. You know the story. But I'm going to prove to you that a man that loves Jesus can be influenced or controlled 
by, I'm going to say it, demonic activity. I'm going to say Satan, okay? You ready? Watch this. You know the story. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say I am? They said, some say John, some say Elijah, some say Moses. And verse 16, Peter said, I think you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus answered, I can't believe you got this right, Peter. This is the first time in your life you actually said something smart. Blessed are you. My father revealed this to you. You know what? You're Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then Jesus said, and I'm going to have to go die. Peter said, no, you better not go. And Jesus looked at him in verse 23 and turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle in my way. Now, here's what's funny. His name was Simon. Jesus just told him, I'm going to name you Peter. And then looks at him and calls him Satan. I'm sure Peter's thinking, okay, which one is it? Simon, Satan, Peter, who am I, Lord? Make up your mind, you know. Now, whether your theology is that Satan was in him, on him, around him, underneath him, behind him, whatever the theology is with all that, here's the point. Peter was under the control of a demonic spirit. Either that or our Jesus Christ, our Lord, when he gets offended, he calls people names. One or the other. Jesus gets offended. He thinks, what's the worst name I could call you? Uh, Satan. Is that, was that what happened? Or was, he, was Jesus actually referring to Satan himself? And you know what? After Jesus said that, Peter went back to normal. And everything was fine. Point number two. I don't like I'm scared the devil's out of y'all while I'm preaching. Point number two. Signs I'm under attack. Signs that I am under attack. Now, the past few weeks I've been teaching you about the churches in Revelation. Do y'all remember that? Okay. We videotape this service, okay? We're going to try it again. The past few weeks, I've been teaching you all about the churches in Revelation. Do you all remember that? Yes. Thank you so much. We're going to edit out that part before that. So here's a picture of the seven churches. So John is on Patmos. Jesus shows up and said, I need you to write these seven churches a letter. You got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, um, Thyatira, which we're going to talk about now, Sardis, Philadelphia, which they moved to Pennsylvania afterwards, and then Laodicea. So Thyatira... They were, um, they were battling a demon in their church. The demon's name was Jezebel. Okay, so I'm going to read to you. This is Jesus writing to this church. Revelation 2, <clears throat> 18. To the church in Thyatira, I have this against you. You allow Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Okay, let me just, I, I need to just give you a second or something. If you have to go around telling everybody what your gift is, you probably don't have the gift. I can't tell you, it happens every month, like clockwork, every month in this church. Beforehand, you know, I go, I talk to y'all after church before it's shaking. I'll, I'll shake the hand of a visitor. And every month they do it. And as soon as they find out I'm the pastor, they have a card already waiting. The card has their name on it. It'll say prophetess or evangelist or worship pastor or some gift. And it's always a gift that would put them on a stage. Nobody's ever shook my hand and handed me a card that said, I clean bathrooms really well. <laughs> no one's ever handed me a card that says, I can set up chairs and break them down before after service if you need it. Never any of that. Every single time it's a gift that puts them on a stage. If, if you have to tell everybody where your gift is, you don't have it. The church will find out where your gift is, believe me. We won't let you be in here and not be used in a great way. We will discover what your gift is. You don't got to advertise it to the world. And this woman, the first problem was, or this spirit, is a spirit that always wants to advertise. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you how many people tell me. They, I've had over 100 people just in the past six months tell me what a good singer they are. I said, who told you you were a good singer? My mama. Your mama lied to you. She lied right to your face. Your mama just wanted to make you feel good when you were little. You can't sing at all. <laughs> 
He said, I'm a teacher. How come everybody falls asleep after you've talked for five minutes? You're not a teacher, right? If it's a gift, it's obvious. And why can't we be happy with whatever gift we have been given? Because you know the people that do that and they don't have, they do have a gift, but they're so focused on the one they want, they don't spend time developing the one that God gave them. And the Bible says your gift is what makes room for you. Guess why there's no room being made for you? Because you're not operating in your gift. That was another side point that I'm not going to charge you for. That was all good stuff. I'm going to watch today's sermon again. That's how good it was. So she calls herself a prophet, but she misleads my servants by her teachings. Verse 22, Jesus said, I'll cast her on a bed of sickness. Okay, so Christians in this church, they, they, in Thyatira, there's a, a, a demonic spirit that's come into the church. There are very few amount of people who believe this was an actual human being. Um, most theologians believe it's, it's a spirit, and I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> the reason they don't believe it's a human being, because no woman... No Jewish woman in the New Testament would ever name her daughter Jezebel because every Jew knew Jezebel from the Old Testament was an evil, horrible, horrible woman. It would be similar to a, a Jew nowadays naming his son Adolf. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now, there's a small chance that, that she was a Gentile convert that came into the church, but even then, that would be like just a regular person who's not a Jew naming their son Adolf. No one's going to do that, right? So they think it's referring to the spirit of the woman, Jezebel, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, Jezebel, she was the daughter of King Ethbaal. He was the king of um, Tyre and Sidon, which was responsible for child trafficking. So Jezebel, this little girl, grows up in a culture where child trafficking is norm. It's all around her. Okay? And if you don't think that'll produce demons in your life, it will. And when we send our children to schools for eight hours a day where the norm is sex in schools and the norm is using the F-bomb and GD and the norm is looking at things they shouldn't, I promise you it'll affect them. It'll affect their marriage. It'll affect their future. So we always want to plant. You can't grow somewhere. If you're planted in poison, you're not going to grow to be the tree God's called to be. Okay, so anyway, so Jezebel in the Old Testament. So Jezebel married Ahab. Ahab was a king who wanted to serve God, but Jezebel, she didn't care about Ahab. She just wanted influence and power. That's why she married him. And so she hires 850 false prophets, puts them on her payroll, sends them out. I'm sure they're going around saying, God said to tell you this and this and this, and it's always things that put money in Jezebel's pockets. The one true prophet of God, Elijah, shows up in 1 Kings 18. He calls down fire from heaven, and the 850 prophets all die. Everybody say yay. yay. In 1 Kings 19, 1 through 7, Ahab told Jezebel how Elijah killed the prophets. So Jezebel sent a, a text message to Elijah, and she said, By the time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. She was from Aner. Elijah was afraid, no wonder, and ran for his life. Then he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, take my life. And Elijah fell asleep. The angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked and saw some cake and water. He ate cake and drank water, and he lay down again. <clears throat> the angel came back a second time and said, get up and eat. He got up and ate and drank once again. Okay, so I'm going to give you some, um, some obvious points of, of signs that there's a Jezebel spirit around you. And now, all through the Bible, there's other types of spirits. I, I just chose to use this just to kind of open your eyes to it. But you'll see it all through the Bible in other ways, okay? These are just a few signs with this particular demonic activity. The first one, 2A, is this, fear and insecurity. Elijah, in 1 Kings 19, 2, he was afraid and ran for his life. Listen, he just called down fire from heaven and killed 850 men. And one woman's going to make him afraid and run for his life? 
Why didn't he go up to the castle and say, hey, Jezebel, come on out. I got some fire left for you too. Why was he afraid? Here's why. He was being attacked. If you battle fear and insecurity, you're not a bad person. If it's a constant thing in your life, it's Satan trying to suppress you. Joshua tells us that we need confidence to fulfill our destiny. If you walk into a room and you can't hold your head up high and you're always like this all the time, you're not going to be able to fulfill your destiny with no confidence. If you have to put half-naked pictures of yourself on social media just to feel good and get affirmation from people, you're not going to fulfill your God-given destiny because you don't have confidence. And you don't need self-confidence. You need God-confidence. There's a big difference. If you do self-confidence, you'll always find something wrong. If it's God-confidence, you'll always find something right. And so if, if, if it's fear and insecurity, if it's a normal part of your life, just pray it out. Cast it out in Jesus' name. Be done with it. Um, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but everybody gets affirmation from their father. They really do. And a lot of times there's a father wound that we haven't dealt with, and Satan sees it, and so he spends the rest of your life attacking you with fear and insecurity based on what you did not get from your father. Um, women get affirmation from their father. Little girls get affirmation from their father. A little girl can put on a new dress or get ready for prom and she'll say, Mommy, how do I look? And she'll, Mom say, you look great. Daddy, 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 what do you think? Oh, honey, you look beautiful. You're the most beautiful girl in school. I'm so proud of you. Her face just lights up. You know, little boys get their affirmation from their father. Grown men still need and want affirmation from their father. And if you didn't get it and you're not getting it, here's good news. You got a new father and he thinks you're to die for. He literally thinks you are literally to die for. That's, you are the apple of his eye. Um, there's a, a, a horrible father wound that produced in the Bible. I'll show you this one story because every time I read it, you ever read something that's like a true story or you see something, a movie, that's, and, it, and, 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 and it makes you want to just punch the villain in the face and beat him until blood, it makes you want to forgive them and show them the love of Jesus and, you know, just pray for him. Come on. Am I the only one that feels that way? When you hear kids getting bullied at school, do you not think, I'd like to go meet that bully? I just, want to, I just want to lay hands on them. That's all I want to do. You never had that thought? What's wrong with y'all? Am I the only one with problems in this room? <clears throat> Whatever. So King Saul has this big old banquet going on, right? <clears throat> Everybody's around, all their peers. And his son Jonathan comes in the room. And Jonathan has been friends with David, right? And, and Saul's just finding out. In front of everybody in the room, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30, <clears throat> Saul says to Jonathan, You stupid son of a whore, you've sided with the son of Jesse. Now, if you have not had any counseling training, that produces a father wound right there. That'll do it. That'll do it. But listen, you got a new father, so it's okay. It's okay. You can pray that out of your lap, fear and insecurity. Here's the second thing, depression and suicidal thoughts. <clears throat> 1 Kings 19.4, remember we just read it. Um, Elijah... Um, Let's see, pray, Lord, take my life. Do you know that um, many of the great, great men of God in the Bible prayed this prayer? God, take me now, I'm done. Remember, every time I read it, remember Sanford and Son? From the Saturday, like, oh, I'm coming home, take me now. I think every time I read that. Okay, if you have all these suicidal thoughts or you're constantly depressed, you've tried medicine, you've tried self-help books, all these things, there's nothing, you're not a bad person. You're a human person. And human people battle things. They, human people are attacked 
by Satan and his demons. That's Satan trying to destroy your future with the suicidal thoughts. You need to get some prayer warriors around you and pray that out of your life. Out of your life. Here's the second, um, the, let's see, 2C. The third thing is this, fatigue. Constant exhaustion in life. 1 Kings 19.5, he ate cake and drank water and lay down again. He was exhausted over and over. Which the Bible now tells us if you are under attack, you need to take naps and eat cake. <laughs> Write it down. That's what the word of the Lord said to you today. If you, at the bottom of your sermon handout where it says, what is the Lord saying to me today? Just write down naps and cake, naps and cake, naps and cake. I feel like I'm under attack. I didn't think I was under attack, but now I think I am. I need a nap and some cake. Specifically, angel food cake. <laughs> 2D, sickness, unusual and frequent sicknesses. Revelation 2.22 about Jezebel, I'm cast her into a sickbed. Seems like your whole life you're good in this year. You got money, you got relationships, but but it seems like you just keep getting sick in the same area year after year after year after year after year after year. That's that's demonic. Why would you not want to cast that out and be done with it? Well, I don't know if it is. Well, why don't you try it? So <clears throat> there's a lot of open doors in the Bible to this. I told you pride's one. There's a lot of them, right? A lot of them. The open door to the Jezebel spirit. I hope it blows your mind. I hope it blows your mind. God showed me this, and I was amazed. I was like, oh, this is some good stuff, okay? The open door to this particular spirit we're dealing with is this, allowing the wrong people to speak into your life. Watch this. This is both Jezebel's, New Testament and Old, Revelation 2.20. You allowed her to come in your church and teach your people. You allowed it. You let her do it. You invited her to come in there and to speak into these people's lives. You allowed that friend to hang out with your child. You allowed that person to be around your child. You allowed it. You let them do it. You didn't stop them. You allowed it. And then watch this, 1 Kings 21, 25. No one was more devoted to doing evil than Ahab while under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. And let me say, you know, simply dating the wrong person can ruin your destiny. I, I love today's sermon. Isn't this exciting? demons oh okay so point three is this submit to jesus this is the answer james 4 7 so submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you for you skeptics in here it is very healthy that you're learning about this because this means that you and the people who you love will not live in bondage for the rest of their life on earth so it's very healthy you're learning about this. So how do we, how do we submit to God? Because that's such a spiritual phrase, right? Okay, submit to God. What does that mean? What does that mean practically? Like, what do we actually do? It's a good phrase. If you've been a Christian a long time, you might could figure it out. But like, tell me something, okay? So let's read some scriptures, and I'm going to give you the answer. Matthew 8, 16. Many were demon-possessed and sick, and Jesus cast out devils with a word. I need you to understand that there has to be some communication. There has to be some verbiage going on, a word. Mark 16, 17, miraculous signs will be with those who have faith, and in my name, believers will cast out, that's verbal as well, demons. Matthew 17, 18, Jesus rebuked, that is verbal right there, rebuked the demon, and the child was cured. Before I tell you the answer, I'm, I, I debated all week long to tell you this last story, okay? I, me and Jesus, we fought all week long about this because it's a weird story. And uh, I don't know if y'all can handle it. But um, even, even to the point in the shower this morning, I was like, Jesus, I don't want to tell him. I don't want to tell him because it's freaky, but it's a true story. So I'm going to tell you, okay? And I hope you come back next Sunday. Um, 
There's three times in my life where I've witnessed demonic activity uh, in the spirit realm affecting the natural realm that we can see, taste, touch, hear, and all that. I've, I've witnessed it three times, okay? There's one story I'm going to tell you. It's a true story. And um, I was a young guy, and I was getting paid to do sound, just sound at this um, meeting hall where these people had rented this, um, this big area. There were other rooms that were being rented by people, but this particular room was the biggest room in the building. Very well-to-do. It was mainly all men, and uh, they're in business suits, you know, ties and jackets. And um, I knew a few of them. I knew one specific man there that he, um, I knew that he had a battle with homosexuality. And I knew that he was married to a woman, and I knew that they were working. He, he was honest with her, and he was trying to, you know, work it out. And, um, and the meeting was about over, and there was this kid walking by who was part of another group they were renting. And I, I'd seen this kid before. I, I knew him. And he was mentally and physically handicapped. He kind of walked, you know, like with a limp. And when he talked, you couldn't understand him. He was always looking down, and he mumbled everything. You'd have to ask him eight or nine times before you understood even one sentence out of his mouth. And as they were wrapping up the meeting that I was in, all of a sudden when that kid came walking by, he walked in, and you could tell something was really wrong. And in the middle of the whole thing, he started pointing at the guy I told you about, and he was screaming in the most clearest voice you could imagine. And it was a lot deeper than his normal voice, but it was so clear. He pointed to the man, and he said, you wish your wife was a man. And he said, over, now let me just say this too. There's nothing wrong with, we all battle. We all battle. We all battle. Okay, whether you battle homosexuality, whether you battle heterosexual lust, whether you battle alcohol, TV, food, sugar, we all battle, Starbucks, whatever your battle is, we all have something. So there's nothing wrong with you for battling, it just means you're human. Um, but I will say this, it's obvious it's Satan if, if you're exposed, if your sin is exposed. Only Satan exposes. So when you feel like finding somebody that you know they've done something wrong and reminding, him about, reminding them about their past, that is 100%, you're under the influence of Satan. The Bible says that love covers, and Satan exposes, okay? Especially when I know the guy was working on the issue, but my goodness. Anyway, so the kid screamed it about four or five times, kept on screaming it. As clear as day, there were two or three mature Christians in the business meeting, and they stood up. They didn't jump over pews. They didn't hang from chandeliers, nothing weird. They didn't throw out any snakes. They just started pointing at the kid, and they were saying, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. So they probably said it maybe a dozen times. After about 12 times, that kid went right back to his normal mind. He looked around like he didn't know where he was at, and he walked out of the room. Blew my, in fact, I was so excited. If it, we had cell phones, I would have been videotaping the whole thing, you know, get, putting on Facebook. It was great. But what I'm teaching you today isn't just what I'm teaching out of the Bible. It's things I've experienced in my life. I've, I've, I've experienced it in my And I have other stories that are cool, too, but I'm not going to tell you. So... What did Jesus do when he was battling Satan? He said, it is it's written. Finished was on the cross. It's written. So, it's verbal. Rebuking's verbal. Cast out's verbal. He used a word. Are you with me? John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, which was Jesus, and the word was God. So, submit to God. 
Jesus is the Word. God is the Word. Submit to the Word. Psalms 1-3 tells us that meditating on the Word is like planted by the water. Ephesians 5.26 says Jesus washes the church with the water of the Word. John 4.14 says when you're saved, there's a water well inside of you springing forth. So all through the Bible, water represents the Word. We're to submit to God who is the Word. Jesus is the Word. He used the Word. Rebuking is the Word. Water is the Word. And then in Matthew 12.43-45 says this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, in other words, you rebuked it in Jesus' name. It wanders through, watch this, waterless regions, looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Then it says, I'm going to return to my house from which I came. When it arrives, it finds it swept and put in order. Uh-oh, it's empty. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits more than itself, and they enter, remember I told you that word earlier, and live there. And the last state of, see, I thought we were talking about cats up until right now. The last state of that person is worse than the first. Here's what happens. So you get saved. You give your life to Christ. Or you pray and you cast out Satan or whatever, is the, whatever the depression, whatever is in Jesus' name, you cast out. That's great. But then you just go through your week and you don't fill yourself with the word. And the spirit says, well, I'm going to come back and just come back in there. It's, it's waterless. How often does our body need water physically? That's as often as you need the word spiritually. See, the reason we have short groups in Sunday school and Bible studies and we're on YouTube and all these other things is so you can constantly drink from the water of the word so that when the enemy tries to attack, there's no room for the bad spirits to get in because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Revelation 2.21 says, I gave Jezebel time to change the way she thinks. I gave her time to get in the Word and see it from my perspective, but she didn't do it. So here's my last point. So the Christian world, they fight against this. All of the, the, the charismatic churches say, we need deliverance. You got to pray and cast out demons. And then all the Methodist, Baptist, Episcopal, Lutheran, they say, no, we need discipleship. We need to go to Sunday school and Bible studies and read the Word every day. You know what the answer is? We need deliverance. And we need discipleship. We need to write these two words down and you're done. We need to pray and read the Bible. You can pray and cast it out, but then what are you going to do after that? It's going to come back. And you can keep on reading the Bible, but if you don't cast the enemy out of your life in Jesus' name, what's it going to do? See, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. But you can cast out a demon and you can disciple the flesh. And then you won't just go to heaven, but you'll live heaven on earth and be ready for it. When you, see, you can be saved and go to heaven, but you can be in bondage your whole life on earth. So the answer, prayer and the word, deliverance and discipleship. Amen? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer today.